0: Welcome to episode 173 of the Do It Right podcast with Valerie Sokolovsky, a phenomenal human being. I put myself in the group of one of your favorite fans. Uh, I've had the opportunity to be with you in multiple settings here, right? whiskey tastings, other things that we have done together. But you asked me a question a few minutes ago, which has led us to me introducing you. Mm-hmm. And that is, who are you? And I wanna take a stab at answering, who is Valerie Sokolovsky? Because I've listened to this series of the Do It Right uh, podcast, and I encourage everybody to do that. Because what you're going to find is not only the guests that you have and the insight that they give all of us that are in positions of responsibility leading others, we find out a lot about you by the questions that you ask, and by the guests that you choose to have. Mm-hmm. And what I've come to understand is that you are, what we would say in he- Hebrew, a minch, a really great person. And you have a talent of bringing guests who have insight into the biggest challenges that organizations are facing today, and to allow them to bring out different techniques that if somebody listens to all of the series, mm-hmm they're gonna find ways to meld these things together, maybe not from one guest, but from multiple guests. So who is, Valerie, one of the best connectors that I know. And with that, welcome to episode
1: 173. (laughs) Welcome to our podcast, Doing It Right. This podcast reveals authentic stories from successful leaders doing it right. It's about their journey to become a leader, their choices, motivations, and lessons. In essence, how they built successful personal brands, Your host is Valerie Sokoloski, author of eight leadership books and nationally known as an authority on executive presence and personal branding. Let's get started. Here's Valerie.
2: Can you just stay around a while? (laughs) Steve Soslin is my guest. I love you back. I love you back. Steve Soslin today is my guest and um, I have obviously known Steve for a while. It started way back when He's always been my boss. Let's just start there. Years ago, when I was given the opportunity, because I met him, to do executive coaching at then, where were you then?
0: At the University of North Texas Mm -hmm. Health Science Center. And as I recall, we were at an International Coaching Federation event on a panel together when we first met.
2: That's right. And then you moved on from there to now, tell them what you're doing. So
0: I went from there to one university, the Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center in Lubbock, Mm -hmm. Texas. And then from there now at the Texas Tech University System where we have five universities. And I have the privilege of supporting 63,000 plus students and 21,000 faculty and staff.
2: Is that amazing? I mean, let's just start there. And the interesting thing that Steve said to me years ago was, he said, you know, I'm known as the disruptor.
0: What does that mean, Steve? Well, you know, it, it is a thing, positive disruption. Uh-huh. Organizations uh, hire me or consult, ask me to consult with them when they're not happy with the way they have defined their current culture. It may be that that one time the culture was relevant and it was good and they need renovation. And from time to time, uh, they've got a toxic culture that they need to transform, and that's where my work begins, is helping people understand that most people are just basically really good human beings. They just need to be in the right environment. You and I have talked about the importance of the soil Mm -hmm. and that leaders need to prepare the soil so that people can grow. My work is in disrupting what's here, the status quo, and helping people get to the future that they want.
2: And it's fascinating, fascinating work. I um, I don't want to neglect two organizations that are also fascinating for just a moment, and they happen to be sponsors of this show today. So I want right. to thank, first of all, do you love this green? Absolutely. It, I mean, it's a bright green. And I
0: loved it more when I was at UNT. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
2: you did. <laughs> This is from Betty Ryder Boutique at Preston and Center, Preston and Northwest Highway, Preston Center um, in Dallas, Texas. And they really have some very unique designer clothes and accessories and so forth. And so the reason I hold it up is because in front of her boutique in the shopping center is a big red door. So you know that you're there. And then I also want to thank Taylor Bags. Which is just a, a beautifully handmade from a very small manufacturing company in Spain leather. As you were feeling this oh. right <laughs> before the, so the show,
0: I'll tell you the feel of the leather, leather, but the stitching is incredible.
2: You notice that?
0: Oh gosh, this is, yeah. yeah. So as soon as the show's over, I'm gonna do some shopping.
2: <laughs> so I wanna th- and thank you. Show that that'll make her very happy. Stephanie Taylor, Taylorbags.com. The other thing I like particularly about this one, Steve, is the handle has kind of a twist to it, which is, is cool. And most of her bags have then a strap that you can use as a crossbody. So thank you, Stephanie Taylor, Taylorbags.com. And Betty Ryder Boutique. Let's get back to us. So you are a disruptor. I want you to share with us um, what you're currently doing. Years ago, you started this little thing called interviewing a lot of people, asking them, what are your core values? And it has grown globally. This is global. This man now is dealing with, uh, I could mention, Jim Collins and all kinds of famous people because he's become famous because of the work you're doing that is infamous.
0: I might argue this. I'm a behind the scenes. You're humble. I I can't answer that and be humble. (laughs) I'm going to tell you that. If we take a look at, um, let me juxtapose some of the early work that's led to what I think is really important today. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at one time, and perhaps when we first met, I was I was talking to a lot of people about the Peter Principle. In 1969, a faculty member named Lawrence Peter wrote a book, not that great of a book, I don't recommend it, <laughs> but the lessons from it were phenomenal. And most people, even if they've never read the book, they know what the Peter Principle is. And so it's the tendency of organizations that are hierarchical, large organizations, and certainly university systems like I'm in now, but it's the tendency of hierarchical organizations to promote people to their highest level of incompetence. I first noticed this when I was a hospital administrator and we had uh, frontline nurses that were phenomenal. And then when it was time To look for a supervisor we would go to the highest performing nurse and say we want more like you so would you take the supervisory role in universities we do that when we look for department chairs so we'll take our highest performers and we promote them and they do pretty well first of all they're leading their peers who really like them uh, that want them to lead them and that works out well and then another opening comes up at a higher level and we promote them to that and then it goes on until they get to a position where that they're not prepared for they're not prepared for the people challenges that they're going to have at that level and then what do we do
2: and you said something if i can just interrupt a second so interesting you said at the people level because i remember sorry to interrupt but i think this is
0: relevant this conversation
2: yeah it is it is on air and we're not taking anything out by the way um years ago steve we put on our tagline, we focus on people skills. And this was over 25 years ago. And I've told this story on air before. The man that I was sharing some work with at the time, partnering, said, you shouldn't be doing that because there's not one company that will pay for helping people with people skills. They mm. ought to just know it. Now, I'll shut up and let you talk about
0: that. Well, yes. Yes. I would have loved to have had a debate with that person (laughs) because that question of are leaders made or born is kind of a moot point. I I think it's just not even a good question because it really doesn't matter how, even if it were true that leaders are born, if they're not doing anything to sharpen the sword, as Stephen R. Covey would have said, Mm -hmm. then um, they're going to become irrelevant very quickly. A great leader has certain characteristics, and one of them is that they're constantly learning. They're becoming more curious as they get more senior. They ask better questions. Not they don't have to have the answers, which gets to what you said. I've worked in five industries. The first was the U.S. Army.
2: Yes, West Point. Let's make it clear. Okay. Uh,
0: I've worked in other industries. I had a twenty-year business career, and I in two industries in the restaurant industry, right and uh, for 13 years as a corporate recruiter working for Fortune 100 companies where I learned a lot about the best leaders in corporate America. Then in uh, hospital administration and now in higher education. It's interesting to me that I don't think that there's much of a difference between what makes a good leader in one industry versus another industry. and something that's common and this goes back to what you talked about is that we all begin with some version of a technical skill that we need we get hired whether we get hired out of high school out of college don't finish high school technical trade we've got something technical that we've got to be able to do and figure out how to do and we need to do that well and then at the moment we're asked to take a role where we now have responsibility to lead others Mm -hmm. Our careers change.
2: Absolutely.
0: And if we don't recognize that we have a change in a the career, then what happens and what I observe is ask people in the professions where they're going for their continu- continuing ed. <laughs> they're going to sharpen their technical skills.
2: Sure. But
0: how much effort are they really putting into the people skills? So go back to the Peter Principle. And when we finally fire somebody because they, they can't meet the challenges. They're usually people challenges, not technical.
2: Yes, thank you, say that again.
0: <laughs> they're usually people challenges, they're not, it's not the technical, they didn't lose their ability, in this case of the nurse, she didn't uh, uh, lose her ability to be a good nurse, she's still probably the best nurse in the hospital. But we were put in her in positions that we did not prepare her for, and the organization's culpable. So what's the answer?
2: What's the solution?
0: I believe it's, we have to have active development of our people. Mm-hmm. We have to, and, and to do that, it doesn't, I don't believe it means sending people out to leader programs. And they I, do. That, they,
2: they get sent out to, oh, you're going to mm, school and mm, school.
0: And I now you've one, got this certification.
2: Right. I actually had one of them bring the whole big, thick <laughs> workbook back and say, let
0: me show you what I learned. Sure, and then how, and and, let, and I'm sure that that person learned a lot, mm-hmm. and, and they're fired up. Mm-hmm. But how many willing listeners are they when they get back? <laughs> who's saying, yes, yeah, show me that. Right. Let's go through this. I want to know what you learned. Mm-hmm. I believe in organic programs, and, and I believe that what we need to do in organizations is prepare our leaders for the next role before they get it. Succession. And succession planning, mm-hmm. and that's... That's what I'm on now. More than the Peter Principle at this stage with all my gray hair, two years left to go working for a large organization. I'm focused on succession planning. I have hired my successor. He'd be a great guest for you, better than me. And um, I believe that every leader should be asking this question. We should ask every leader in our organization. How many people on your team are in the right seat on the bus, Jim Collins, Mm -hmm. and how many of those are prepared to take on more responsibility now? How many will be prepared a year from now? Good question. There's a Society of Human Resources Managers, their management, Mm -hmm. and uh, they have developed something that a lot of organizations are familiar with. Have you ever heard of a PIP? No. Performance Improvement Plan. Oh,
2: PIP. Yes. PIP. Okay.
0: Right? Yes. So if I were to get my team together and say, hey, listen, I'd like to meet with you at four o'clock this afternoon, and we're going to go over your PIP, your Performance Improvement Plan. Valerie, is that good news or bad news to that person? Are they excited about no, it? No,
2: never. Why? Well, Why <laughs> are they
0: not excited
2: about it? Because it's, you know, it's in a perception, number one.
0: Perception that?
2: That... There's always going to be some negatives. And no, it's said it's what I'm told is, oh, gosh, I've got to go through this performance appraisal. And they say sure. it that way.
0: Exactly. So and the annual performance appraisal, that's another one of those things I want to disrupt. <laughs> uh, and I get that from a guy named Marcus Buckingham. And he has a great book, The the, uh, the Nine Lies About Work. But I want to talk about this if you're okay with it, okay? Uh So here's the thing. My boss says, I'm tired of Steve. He's not the right fit. So my boss goes to HR and says, I got to get Steve off our bus. I'm going to terminate Steve. Uh So here's what's going to happen in many large organizations. Human Resources is going to say, well, Valerie, you want to get rid of Steve. Let's look at his annual performance reviews. (laughs) And and so every, so it's either going to be on a five scale or a seven scale or a three scale or it's meets or exceeds or expectations or doesn't meet. It's going to be some scale, That's right? right? That's right. And what's going to happen is they're going to look at my performance appraisals that you did right. and they're going to say, well, you've got Steve rated right in the middle. <laughs> you can't get rid of him. You, you haven't given him fair warning that he's not, that he's underperforming. So... Here's what we can do. Let's set up a 90 day performance improvement plan.
2: Pips. My audience is dying, I'm sure. Go ahead.
0: And then when, let's set some goals in there. And when he doesn't, when Steve doesn't meet those goals, then you can fire him. This is the worst kept secret in corporate America and other organizations. Mm. But that's why, that's what happens. So think about what we're saying. What we're saying is that anybody in the organization that has a plan to improve their performance is in trouble
2: exactly what's wrong
0: with that
2: and that affects coaching because people think if you're being given a coach it's a bad thing
0: yeah and as you and i know as professional and executive coaches we don't want to coach people in trouble we want to coach people who are up and coming that have barriers in their way of being even better and for the people who are in trouble We need to coach their leaders on how to hold people accountable.
2: So go there for a minute on accountability because one of the things I wanna hold this up for the people who can see it and those who can't, it's called values-based culture. And you put this booklet together, Steve, because of the work you do with figuring out the culture of an organization. I thought the process was fascinating. Tell the audience what that looks like and what you've found.
0: Sure. So it's his values-based culture, and the guide is really how to lead and live in a values-based culture. So will you open that up to pages 8 and 9 okay. and show that to the camera, and I'll walk through what it is. I think I've got the right page. I don't have That goes back to on. 2018.
2: So, yeah, that one. Okay.
0: Okay, so let's just use this as an example. This and for is those one those who
2: can't see, tell them what I, it is. I'll says. tell them what
0: it is. <laughs> and, and you don't have to be able to see it. In fact, if you'll just get on Valerie's website after this, in the show notes, we're going to put uh, a link where you can get this. How's that?
2: That's I just wonderful. made that up. Are you okay with that? <laughs> I love it. I love giveaways. Don't you love giveaways? Thank you. Thank sure, you You bet. We'll
0: time. have a digital version that w- that okay. we'll make available to the audience. Mm-hmm. Okay, on those two pages, what's listed there are the, the values of one of our universities, it's uh, Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. In May of 2018, we gathered 104 people together at a remote site and an site meeting. The 104 represented 5,000 faculty and staff plus 3,000 students and what we were trying to do is we were trying to identify what are the core values shared by everybody in the organization.
2: How did you do that yeah
0: so the the assumption here is that everybody has values, so let's simplify this. What are values
2: right, and what are core values? yeah, mm-hmm. so
0: happen if we call them deeply held beliefs, Yep. perhaps guiding principles, mm-hmm. uh, things that I won't compromise so instead of doing what's common and that is in one of these ivory towers, you know, a small group of people get around a table like this and say, oh, these are good values. Let's tell everybody to go live those.
2: And then they're on the wall and everyone who comes in goes on onboarding. Those are our values. Yeah. And
0: mm-hmm. we can show it to stockholders. Right. We can show it to employees. We can do this and, and we point to the wall. That's right. Right. Or to our website. <laughs> uh uh-huh. We tried to do this a little differently. What we said is, values don't come from a company. In fact, when we hire somebody, we get them with their values. So where do values come from for an individual? Well, when I ask that question, I ask people, okay, think about, when I ask people these questions, mm-hmm. I'll say, where were you born? And where were you raised? Different questions. Yeah. Some For some people it's the same place, but for some they'll give me, Everybody has one place where they were born, but they have multiple places where they were raised. So we get a a sense of the diversity of a of a group of employees. Mm -hmm. In our case in universities, we may have 140 countries. Exactly. Right? Mm -hmm. Different religions, Mm -hmm. ethnicities, colors of their skin, sexual preferences, every way you can think of diversity. So we ask people those kinds of questions. Where were you born? Where were you raised? How many siblings do you have? Where are you in the lineup? And we actually have them use their keep their cell phones on, and they, they're answering these questions, and it's going up on a screen, and we get a chance to see it all in a word cloud.
2: It's just cool. Yeah. It's just cool, yes.
0: Then I ask, okay, when you were in your formative years, you either grew up in a nurturing environment or you may have grown up like me in a hard environment, but somebody was influencing you and helping to shape who you would become. Who was it? So let me ask you, mm-hmm. who were the people in your lives in your life mm-hmm. that were influencing you when you were a young girl?
2: Well, good news, bad news. I didn't have parents, I did, but they were finishing their fourth divorce, so <laughs> gratefully I was raised by a wonderful grandmother.
0: Fantastic. Maternal or paternal?
2: Maternal. Yeah. Maternal grandmother.
0: And, for me, my maternal grandmother and my paternal grandfather were my strongest influencers. Who else?
2: Interesting.
0: Who else influenced you? And by the way, your parents, mm-hmm. how did they influence you in terms of things that would be important to you? Because you and Doug have been married for a long time.
2: <laughs> yes. I think for my mother, who obviously had to make a living for me in the retail business, she was a retail buyer, sportswear buyer. Uh, I think that's why image is part of what I do in companies, professional image. And so she taught me what uh, she taught me the kind of the charm school things, which later is funny, Steve, because, you know, I then owned and ran a charm school. In fact, people still will call a, a company manager might call and say you do those charm school things don't you don't you have kind of those those well it's called business etiquette now or professional presence it's really how you look at walk talk and are so to answer your question other than um my grandmother my mother was influential i suppose in in just the drive to make things work because again she was divorced four times and She had to make it work, and she had this little girl called Valerie. She had to then raise after my grandmother died.
0: So think about this. Drive, Mm -hmm. persistence, attention to detail. Mm -hmm. You've already mentioned those. Maybe not just with all the words you used, drive, but the persistence is there. Obviously, the attention to detail is there. The deep care and concern for people, others, others focused. Mm -hmm. That's what we do. We get everybody back in that time of when they were young growing up. And now all of the shouldas and couldas and wouldas get wiped away for a moment with a group of people. They're sitting around round tables. They're sharing these stories with the people at their table. And then we move a flip chart to the table and we say, will you write down what your table group has in common with each other? So they've thought about themselves individually. Now they're starting to see, oh, yes, yeah, had that too for me. And we ask them, only write down what all of you agree on that was part of your value set. And they do.
2: And what do you mean all of that they agree on?
0: So most common, mm-hmm. people will have something that they will define somewhere around the word integrity.
2: I was just going to say integrity. So most, it it is the single up. most common. Uh-huh. So
0: they'll talk about honesty and trustworthy and doing the right thing and do the right thing even when it's hard or do the right thing even when no one is looking. That, those, that's most common. Second is something to do with compassion, uh-huh. respect, kind, kind-hearted, and we'll hear, we'll hear those. And then for many people, it's something about team, collaboration, being together with others. We'll have that. So let's kind of wrap this one up. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mm -hmm. And that is that we can do that, then we can do it for the entire room. We're going to do it with the city in April. First time. I'm going to experiment. Maybe my biggest professional failure coming up in two months. Oh, no. You won't fail. (laughs) But we're going to try to do it across the city. Can we identify, in this case, Wichita Falls, Texas, where we have Midwestern State University, can we actually get people from all different backgrounds, even different politics, to agree on – common core values that they hold deeply and then define it so that we can then identify the specific behaviors that are desired among our group. This is the way we will behave. This is the way we will treat each other. And when a company can do that, then we can write a guide like this to say, now that we have these values and behaviors identified, what do we do with that? And how do we live that way so that we keep this culture alive Mm -hmm. for years to come and make it sustainable? And sustainability is the toughest challenge.
2: You know, you just netted it out much better than I could have. I've seen the process and here's what I've seen as an outcome, which is what's important. It's one thing to say, okay, you've got this program, you've got this process, you've got whatever it is, but what's the so what? Well, I can say to the audience because I've experienced it, the so what is it's sustainable. You use that word. Those pieces of The process that you take everybody through has to be sustainable because they work there (laughs) and you have opened up their very being as to what's really important to them. And I think that's the ultimate, Steve, that your work is now global, first of all. I just think that's awesome. You are going all over the world and you mentioned the W-what where you're T, what were the initials of the org,
0: of where you're going? Uh, Wichita Falls for the no the, the World. Oh sure, the uh, the World Business Forum in New York. Okay. Uh, this coming uh, October, October 23rd and 24th, uh, okay. considered to be one of the top uh, leader development for C-suite executives programs in the in the world. And uh, we're going to the one in New York, and Texas Tech University system will be a sponsor this year.
2: That's, I think, the proof of the pudding, folks. And you can see on the banner how to get in touch with Steve Sosselin because while his day job is at (laughs) Texas Tech, right, you're doing this on behalf of Texas Tech all over the world.
0: Well, let's make the field guide available for anybody who oh, would like that. You're going to give something um, away. I love it. Let's, in addition to that, um, I want to uh, let if you'll put my contact information, people can contact me, and I'm going to give you my cell phone number that you can publish.
2: All right. So it's so I would in, ask people
0: to text me. Great. Okay. If if they're interested in getting some help, we'll give them advice. On how they can do this themselves in their own organizations because we envision a world Mm -hmm. a better world if we can disrupt more organizations positively breaking the status quo let's let's do what we can to have people live a positive values-based culture Mm.
2: you know Steve that's what's called a visionary you are a visionary and it's not often that I can look out when someone says, well, who do you know that's a visionary? I'm not sure I'd really have an answer except for you because you have taken an idea, you've put a process together to come up with an outcome, and now you're doing this all over the world. Steve, I, I, mm, I'm so humbled that you're still my friend. <laughs> and he's still as humble as he's ever been. And if he does fall off of the pedestal at all, which he wouldn't, I would kick him in the (laughs) you-know-what. In all honesty, I'm just so grateful that you came back on the show. You were on the show several years ago. This is now six years into the show. You're back, and that just shows the catapulting of when you're doing the right thing for the right reasons, for the right people, it happens. And for those of you that are still in the corridor, I just want to tell you something don't give up you're in the corridor so what he didn't just do this overnight but he did it and that's called doing it right and that's my story and i've even got a valerieism for it are you ready for this i am i always leave steve with this little thing i come up with which is just something philosophically you kind of mentioned it but for today it is this i cannot do it alone and that's okay. That just came to me honestly this morning before the show because I've done what, (laughs) 172 Valerieisms. Let's see, what would it be today? And I always get one and that's what it is. I'm gonna say it again. I cannot do it alone and that's okay. Steve, you have no problem reaching out to people and I had a lot of problem doing that. So for my audience who still has problems reaching out and saying help, I need, could you advise? What would you say to them?
0: It's a learned skill. Good. And if you're curious
2: mm-hmm.
0: and stay curious and learn how to ask better questions of people that you're around, the answers will appear. Ah, oh, that's beautiful.
2: Thank you, audience, so much for today. I want you to reach out. You know, who wouldn't want this book of cultures? It's, it's amazing. And organizations, you leaders out there who think it might be a very interesting thing to have Steve come in and do this whole assessment, kind of, based on real people, the people that work for you. <laughs> what is your culture? Do you even know it? Well, it'll get tightened down and buttoned up if you go through this process. So I'm grateful, Steve, again, to have you on the show. And I'm more than grateful that you're still my friend. Thank you again. I love you, and
0: I love spending time with you. Thanks for the opportunity.
2: You're so welcome. And until next time, get friends like this. (laughs) It just feels really good. Bye for now.